Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When Freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. To get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And this week, the drugs flowing through this Texas border town are controlled by one colorful trafficker and the county sheriff. We'll review the podcast Witnessed Borderlands. Plus, they were the women who trailed, tracked, and tried a Parisian serial killer. We'll discuss the French documentary, The Women and the Murderer. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime co-author, TV journalist, host of These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and tech genius, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, author of Dead on Deadline, and best-selling local raconteur, Lara Bricker. Hello, Lara. Hello, Rebecca. Yeah, I'm still holding the number one spot at Water Street Bookstore, so we'll see. I do have a question for you. Just I'm going to ask it in just a minute. And finally, our captain of woke cynicism, the author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast about UFOs, and our Patreon deep dive book club podcast, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hey, Rebecca. Laura, I hear you're scouting out locales for murder locations for your next book, and you're asking people like, <laughs> can I murder somebody in your yard? How is that working out for you? Actually, I'm getting a very favorable response to those questions. So yeah, there's a vacant lot in town. And that's going to be where the body in book two is where I was hoping it was going to be found. So I happened to see the property owner while I was out for my morning walkabout. And I said, Hey, do you still own that lot? And he's like, Yeah, I'm like, Do you mind if I just kill someone there? He's like, Go ahead. So cool. No further questions asked. He's not (laughs) he's not worried about like, how that will reflect on his future business or anything like that. I don't think this guy really needs to worry about that. Okay. (laughs) Well, good. I mean, I'm just going to tell you, as somebody who just joined my local of Chamber of Commerce, even though I do not have a bricks and mortar business, I just thought it might be nice to, I don't know, sponsor like maybe a local t-ball team or something. Um, I'm thinking about calling them the, you know, Mike Hogs. I don't know. I can tell you, (laughs) I do not think it would reflect well on my local business if there were a body found Oh, maybe it would. I don't, I don't know. know. I mean, I had um, breakfast with the chamber president the other day, and she's all for it. Really? She thinks it's like great tourism for Exeter. I'm like, all right, murder tourism. We'll take it. <laughs> it is true. Can you true. fit a corpse in there with you guys? I don't know. We'll see. In our closet? Yeah. 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 I mean, it is true that there's an active volcano exploding on the big island in Hawaii right now. And apparently people are flocking there to see that. Mm-hmm. So I, I can imagine that a fictional body might a- attract some as well. OK. All right. Well, I guess I'm on board with that. Toby, you doing OK over there? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing great. I see you're wearing your free Adnan shirt. Good for you. Yeah, doing my bit. Good, good. Hashtag free Adnan. All right. Let's start the program, shall we? Let's do it. Leading off. He was a big-time drug trafficker, and he was impossible to miss. Black cowboy hat, tall, broad-shouldered, hulking. The rumor was that underneath his trench coat, he carried two Colt forty-five pistols. In the 1980s and 90s, the drug trade in a Texas border town was overseen by Robert Chambers, a hard-partying, guitar-playing, mountain lion-owning outlaw of the rugged West. While his competitors were plucked, Chambers always avoided the authorities. The bottom line, Chambers was staying out of jail, 
And all the while, he was becoming a bigger, more sophisticated criminal. There was one powerful man who had his back. It was Sheriff Rick Thompson. He ran the county as he saw fit, and he saw fit to manage the trafficking of drugs into Presidio County himself. Rick told me in our conversation, um, don't you understand that the good guys need to be in control of the drugs? I just want to repeat that. The good guys need to be in control of the drugs. In the new podcast series, Witnessed Borderlands from Campside Media, host Rob D'Amico recalls the story of a drug runner and a crooked lawman who moved pot and cocaine through West Texas and how their alliance culminated in a botched billion-dollar coke deal. Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about plot points from the first five episodes of Witnessed Borderlands. So if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs-up or thumbs-down reviews. Now, Laura, these are like the kinds of stories that you hear in this podcast that are like guys telling stories. Like, that's this kind of podcast, right? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely one of those where you come in with these very entertaining Uh, accounts of these like outlaws in West Texas. And I mean, it sounds like fiction, honestly. You know, it sounds like a bunch of guys sitting around telling their old war stories of the times they got away with doing X, Y, and Z. It was very interesting, but I was kind of wondering, why are we hearing these stories now? I think Mm. that was sort of where I went from that initial observation. Now, I have a question. Why do you ask that about this podcast but not about a podcast like Suspect, which we reviewed last week, which, by the way, does not have a news peg for now. Yeah. You know, I think this one, honestly, I think it got a little bogged down in the way that they broke the chapters up. And it just, I feel like Suspect, it was just so engaging to listen to, just the way that the narrative was structured, moved along in a way that kept you paying attention. Whereas this one, some of these stories went on and on and on, but that sort of lost me along the way, if that makes sense. Hmm. Toby, what do you think about the format? Because we really are essentially, this is a recall story, right? We're having people, and by the way, I do think it's interesting that both things that we're reviewing tonight are essentially recall stories where we have a set of characters looking back, remembering a thing that happened, which, you know, a lot of the things that we review essentially are, but both of these don't have action in the moment, you know, scenes. What do you think of the way that this one is formatted? You sent me a note, for instance, saying that this seems ready made for a TV series. What do you mean by that? I think what they do, which I think is the right choice for this, is that it's a bunch of character portraits almost, you know, and I think that's, you know, maybe part of what Laura was referring to when she's talking about the structure, which is you kind of get the setup and then you get these episodes that are really about the people rather than sort of moving the core story along. The podcast kind of lives and dies based on if you find that interesting, if you find these people's stories interesting and are willing to sort of enjoy those in waiting to find out what's going to happen with sort of the main plot line. And for me, I thought that was good because the whole plot hasn't been revealed, but the basics of it, which are larger than life guy in a small Texas town takes over the drug trade. And there's a corrupt cop who's also larger than life. And then there's some semi out of town guys who are coming in to try and take them down. And it's just these big, big personalities. But it's like, it's, it just seems like that's a story that that's been told a bunch of times. So really what you've got here, unless you're diving into these characters it's just like, uh, yeah, all right, sure, whatever. But I think the characters are interesting enough that it does make it worth listening to and, and sort of give it a little more depth than it would if it was covered. I, I mean, I, I kind of feel like we went from Firebug to Suspect to this, with Firebug having like the least characterization, this probably having the, the most. And I think a lot of people would say, well, Suspect kind of nails it by having not too much you know, sort of the Goldilocks thing. But I I thought this one did a pretty good job. I was pretty into the stories. Hmm. Kevin, there's a big action sequence at the beginning of this podcast, and I would argue that it's really the only action sequence in the podcast. What do you think about the pacing? Because we we do start with basically like, you know, I I thought it was like very breaking bad-ish the way this thing opens, and then it changes very much tonally after that. Yeah, well, it starts off with probably the most dramatic open we've had in some time. A teen running away from a drug shootout involving his father. And at that point, that man 
took my dad's pistol and shot holes on each side of his head in order to intimidate him. By now, Lika was lying on the floor, hoping, praying the shooting would stop. Then it does a good job sort of immediately of introducing us to the two main subjects, Robert Chambers and Sheriff Rick Thompson. And I think that that sets it up really well. And then I feel like the next two episodes... They take each episode to sort of give the background and biography and character building of each one separately. So it's not until sort of episode four when we're getting back into, you know, sort of the the meat and potatoes of what happened. So I felt like, well, how do you do that? Because you certainly want to have you certainly want to hear about the different folks. But should it have taken two episodes? It's different because you've got sort of two bad guys that you're looking at. Could they have done something differently, done them all in one? Maybe instead of doing a dedicated episode for the biographies, could you have just told the story and then dropped in things about their background and we learned about their background throughout as opposed to all at once? I don't know. It just felt like if I were listening week to week and I got to episode three, would I want to get a, stick around for episode four? And I don't know if I would, which is too bad because, you know, four picks up again. Hmm. You know, I got to be honest, it's surprised to hear the three of you say so many relatively positive things about the characters and the plot and the pacing of this, because I found myself thinking, like, we are basically hearing a chapter one of this drawn out over, like, to me, like five episodes of the podcast. I felt like there could have been a much better way to do this in a way. I mean, it basically, to me, it sounded like the most interesting parts of the story for me were told through the eyes of the women who sort of intersected with these men because they sort of had the most inside look at how these men operated, how they really were. Otherwise, for me, it was sort of a tale of almost like nostalgia in a weird way. And maybe it's because I'm a woman. Maybe it's because I just can't really relate to a story about like a macho guy in a truck who had a pet mountain lion in the cocaine trade or I just don't care particularly or when it when it's sort of in the backdrop of what we acknowledge is like a very racist place and a very macho place like why should I give a shit about this like macho stuff it only gets interesting for me when I hear from the women otherwise for me even when I hear from the FBI agents I'm like it just sounds like a lot of macho nostalgia and all the dudes sound the same and tonally it kind of sounds the same and I didn't get any of the dynamism of the character development to me like Thompson and Chambers they sound like the same guy like I mean it's like I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm actually really surprised. I mean, Laura, I mean, you're nodding. You know, I had the same reaction. I had, like, I was like, which one are we talking about again? Because the yeah. stories, like, they're crazy stories. But after a while, they were all kind of similar in their craziness. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, well, okay, we've already heard about this person taking, you know, bales of Coke and doing whatever. And But yeah, it definitely, it did seem like Kevin was saying, need to be broken up in a little bit of a different way. But the women, like, for example, I thought that interview was really good with the woman who had been the assistant in the police department. Yeah, Talking about, like, the culture of misogyny and the bullying and how they tried to, like, really, like, freak her out by putting, like, these graphic accidents photos on her desk. There had been a terrible, terrible car accident. It was a head-on collision, and it killed an entire family. And the pictures were really, really, really gruesome. And I think they expected me to scream and cry and run out the door. And I didn't. I just asked, do you want me to start a file on this? I think that was just very telling about the culture overall between both the sheriff and the outlaw in terms of how they were all treating women at that time. You know what I kept thinking, Kevin? It was an episode, later episode, we meet the DEA guy who was assigned mm-hmm. to that area, right? It was like Hank, right? From Breaking Bad. That's all I could think <laughs> about, right? He gets assigned there. He's like by himself and he's like, oh, wait, I can't do this by myself. To me, that's like the story structure. If I like walked into the room and I heard all this material, I've been like, start there. Start with him walking into this town, into this situation and being like, shit, this is what's going on. And then unwind it. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Because it's almost like starting from the beginning and being like, this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. Then the DEA guy arrived and he was like, oh, shit, like, what do I do? Like, if you start with the DEA guy arriving and being like, oh, my God, 
wait a minute, the sheriff and the guy who's in charge of this are in it together with the cartel? Like, to me, like, you're drop, you're being dropped into Breaking Bad, essentially. Yeah, I mean, it's one way of telling the story, right? I mean, you can start, and then, and then all this stuff becomes a reveal. We learned in the first 10 minutes that the sheriff had something to do with the drug trade. If you don't learn that, you know, maybe till the end of episode one or episode two, that's another way of telling it, sure. Yeah. So... Toby, you actually think that they made some good choices, as you mentioned, in terms of focusing on different players. Can you talk a little bit about the people telling the stories in the podcast? Because we do actually have a lot of like very colorful characters doing some of the recounting here. Yeah. I mean, again, I think there's not much like actual compelling true crime story, I don't think. I think it's really these people and who's telling the stories. And, and you've got a bunch of different people. You've got um, the lawyer. I can't remember what his name was, but he's- The cat lawyer? Yeah. Uh, the I mean, cat meme uh-huh. guy. <laughs> we're trying to- we're tr- Can you hear me, Judge? I'm prepared to go forward with it. That's, I'm here live. It's not, I'm not a cat. Yep, that's Rod. He was the cat lawyer, 2021's viral internet sensation. So what I guess I found interesting was that there does seem to be like this sort of different sense of justice than I think what most people would think of. And so people are, I think, within that environment, everybody's kind of working on both sides of things, you know, there people are on the take, people who are involved in the drug trafficking are like constantly either trying to become snitches or are snitches. And then there's this weird thing where they talk about the plane crashing and um, Chambers like pulls some people out and like saves them uh, before the thing blows up with one of their buddies in it. And then the question is, well, this does this make him a good guy? It's like, well, fuck no. I mean, <laughs> it's like the least. He- <laughs> we heard that he like beat up women, right? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it's, so it's, you know, it's just all, it's very noir-y, right? I mean, it's it's just like almost, you know, deep Texas noir. You know, I agree with you. Like, it, there's a lot better ways to have framed it. But I, I think in the end, there's just not a ton there. Like, it's not like a story. You're going to be like, oh, my God, I can't believe that that happened. Or I can't believe this happened. It's like, no, you've seen it like a zillion times, like crooked cops and larger than life villains and the weird like racial dynamics between like the Mexican drug cartels and the Americans who are, you know, trying to hone in on it or or partners with them. So I think that that's kind of the problem they have probably is they felt like they had these colorful characters to tell these stories, but what they all add up to as far as the crime goes, isn't much. So you got to kind of lean on who these people are and what stories you can tell about them. And I think that's the value in this, whatever you think of it. Now, Laura, you sent me a note that I know is not true. You okay. You, you want a pet mountain lion, which I know you don't, because you know that's no, not No, right. I don't. I don't want a pet mountain lion. I thought that, but that Carol part Baskin of the story- Carol Baskin will be yelling at you. I know. No. Oh, my God. I don't need that. No, I just thought that was like the craziest detail. I mean, that was the only thing out of the ordinary in the outlaw stories for me. I mean, because I'm like, the rest of it, I'm like, okay, this, that, and whatever, drugs, women, rock and roll. But I'm like, mountain lion. How does one get a pet mount? I mean, I just, I well, have a lot we know. of questions. If you pay some asshole 200 bucks and you get a pet mount, we know that now. Like, that's a thing you can do. I was like, in Texas? I don't know. I mean, it was just a little, it was just like, almost didn't even seem real. It was such a ridiculous detail. Do you know what I mean? You yeah. can get a mountain lion. I don't know if you can get a pet mountain lion. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be a pet when it's little. It's when it's little, Sure. So, Kevin, you pointed out that Rob D'Amico did do this story for like a very long time, right? He spent four years uh, on the story, yeah. And I know that, like, I got to give him credit because when you start off and nobody wants to talk to you, to be persistent and then to wear them down and to get them on the record. I mean, everything like having that judge talk about his uh, experiences with the sheriff in the car, like, basically saying, you know, maybe the good guys ought to be the ones selling the drugs. There are certain people that are going to get drugs. And there are certain people that are going to supply drugs and shouldn't the good guys, and that's what he said, the good guys supply them. And I told him, I don't care who supplies them. I don't want to have anything to do with it. To Dale from the DEA, apparently, you know, it took a lot of effort to get them on it. You know, as, as someone who has been in a situation where you're trying to convince somebody that's reluctant to talk to you to do it, 
you, you know, it's quite the feat in order to uh, to make it happen. So good on him for sticking with it and putting putting this together. Can I ask you a question though? And I, and I don't, and I'm not actually. I'm, I'm. This is not like a dig. I'm just curious because I found myself wondering because he does talk about one of the women that he finally talks to. It's like he's trying, he's trying, he's trying. They email, they email, and he talks to her, and then the judge too. And I wonder if are they included because they're necessary? Or are they included because they were hard to get? You know what I mean? Well, I think they were necessary. I, I know, but I, you, but do you ever find? I mean, I mean, I, I, I do find myself wondering the listening to this though. Like, were some of the things included just because Rob was so psyched to finally get it, or because it was necessary for this story? I mean, maybe it's because the story wasn't so much for me that I found myself make like asking those questions. You know, you know what I mean? I was about to say. I think that's exactly why you think. That. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Well, maybe like I've I've gone through all your notes. Maybe it's time to do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Witnessed Borderlands? It is a relatively new podcast. Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down for Witnessed Borderlands. Should our listeners check it out? What do you think? Boy, I hate to do this. I'm going thumbs down. I just, I really didn't find myself getting engaged with this story. And it's not that this isn't an interesting story. I just think the way that it was presented, um, as Toby pointed out, you know, it was told more sort of character portraits. And uh, you know me, I'm on the go. I like to hear a story that's kind of moving along at a little bit of a different pace. So for me personally, I wanted a little more context as to why now we were hearing this story. But I just, I really just couldn't get into this. And I had to keep rewinding to figure out who who I was listening to because a few of the characters started to kind of blend together, you know, all those outlaws and stuff. So it's not like a huge thumbs down. I'm going to say thumbs sideways to thumbs down. Hmm. Toby Ball, what about you? Yeah, I think I'm a thumb sideways. You know, I, I think there are people who, who would like this. I think the stories, you know, like Laura was saying, they, they kind of seem like fiction. It's just like kind of too much. That being said, I think it's all kind of not going anywhere like as much as you know about what the plot is and what's going to happen it's not super surprising or not something that you haven't seen before on the news or read before in a novel or whatever so it doesn't suck so i'd give it a, a thumb sideways kevin flint yeah i'm going a thumb sideways it's not bad but i do feel like it kind of lost some momentum you know in the middle here i like what we have for a basic story good investigation, but it just seems like, like, I can't really say that it's bad. There's a lot of good work that went into it. I just don't know if it's being told in a way that makes this really sing, because there's good bones to it, but, you know, I don't know, I'm going to give it a, a couple of more episodes, but I can understand why folks might not want to, you know, invest a lot of time in it. Um, I have to give this a thumbs down. It's witnessed boring lands for me. It is... <laughs> so boring and honestly it's it's structure it is structured so poorly like there's nothing interesting about the way this was put together it starts with a scene and then there are no scenes i mean every scene that's in this is just a person's story telling you something that could be good, except that sometimes the stories are allowed to go on so long that any dynamism that's in the story is lost because the story itself then just gets buried in another story that that person tells without there being any sort of narrative frame for the story that the person's telling. Toby said something to me that, that tells me like what this podcast could have been. Toby said the expression deep Texas noir. That is a frame like if if this exact reporting had gone into a room, uh, if Rob had come into a room with all of this tape and this four years of reporting and he had an editor and a producer who were like, this is what we're going to make. We're going to use all of this material and all this great stuff you have and we're going to make a deep Texas noir podcast. And that was the way they put it together. And we dropped this DEA agent in and that was the first episode and that was the frame where it starts with one of these women who like had this long relationship with Robert Chambers that started we we get to them when they're like she's in her 30s and that's when we meet them but then we find out like we can rewind to like when she knew him when she was 15 and it's like this cool like Frank Miller-esque like noir you know like that could have been really fucking cool there's so many ways this could have been cool and like it's almost like every cool choice that could have been made like the opposite choice was made um and honestly, like Laura, I 
found myself rewinding again and again just to be like, who was this again? Who was this again? There are so many white guys in this who sound exactly the same, which does not benefit the podcast. And the writing for Rob does not help because it's just like it's not clear it's just it's not helpful and it's not clear so i'm sorry like i really wanted to like this very badly and i just i can't i can't say that i did so thumbs down for me for witnessed borderlands disney plus and hulu are better together in the disney bundle with new movies and series on disney plus experience the full taylor swift the eras tour taylor's version with new main show performances and acoustic collection On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. All right, Kevin, here we are in the business section of the podcast. Business section. What do we've got going on in our Patreon Crime Writers on after show today? Well, in this uh, after show, we're going to go back in time. Okay. Not really go back in time, but we are going to have a discussion about some of our past reviews. Ooh. And think back to something that we might have given a thumbs up to. Yes. But now that we're older and wiser, or maybe we ended up watching all the rest of the episodes. Yes. If there are any thumbs up that we want to change to a thumbs down. Okay. Or vice versa. All right. Uh, We're also going to answer the question. Toby raised the question last week when we were reviewing John of God, which is about a Brazilian spiritual healer. And uh, we were kind of lukewarm on it. Actually, I think we were all thumbs down on it, but I guess that's a nice way of saying that. <laughs> very we had lukewarm. Qu- we were very lukewarm. Uh, Toby asked, you know, sort of rhetorically, he wondered how it played in Brazil. Hmm. And oh. so we have heard from one of our favorite Brazilian listeners oh. who has some perspective on this story. So we'll, we'll be uh, hearing from her in uh, the after show. Nice. What else have we got going on, Kevin? Well, I want to let you know that we have a new episode of These Are Their Stories coming out this week on Wednesday. Uh, the episode is a classic. It's uh, called Just a Girl in the World. So weird. And it's one It's one where Lupo sleeps with the suspect. So freaking weird. And we find out that Van Buren has cervical cancer that her ex-husband gave her from getting giving her HPV. We don't know that. <laughs> she thinks positive. that. <laughs> we don't know that. Who was our guest for that episode, Kevin? Our guest was our friend Lonnie Diane Rich from so Shipperish Media, all the many podcasts that she does. It was so. so fun taping with her, but that episode is so freaking weird. It's so freaking weird. And by the way, we do not know that that's how Anita Van Buren got cervical cancer. I'm going to say, Rebecca, that that's, that's canon. I don't get my medical advice from Law and Order. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll just say it was a fictional detective with a fictional disease that she got from her fictional ex-husband. After meeting her fictional awesome new boyfriend. Awesome new boyfriend. Yes. You know, this kind of reminds me of that show that Toby watched with his son once about the guy who was uh, had the STDs that was having to go back to all the past people. Oh, yeah. What was that show? <laughs> uh, <laughs> scrotal Recall. Yeah. <laughs> I think they might have put it out with a different. I feel like I saw it somewhere with a different name, but the, wow. at the time it was what called. What channel is that on? Scrotal Recall. I, I, I don't know if it was on Netflix or or maybe it was on uh, you know Acorn or something. I, I don't you know. You have a memory like a funny. steel freaking trap, Lara Bricker. That was incredible. <laughs> I'm like an elephant. I remember everything. Wow. Wowie. 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 And lastly, want to ask you that if you haven't already signed. Sign up for our Crime Writers on Newsletter. It comes out once a week. Very easy. All you got to do is drop your email address in the little field at the top of our website, crimewriterson.com. You'll get information like behind-the-scenes info, summaries of our reviews, cat of the week, 
tweet of the week. Special feature this week. Me wearing my Crime Writers on <gasps> ugly as fuck leggings. Oh, nice. we gonna get a photo? Oh, All right. I receive them in the mail. I plan to model them for the newsletter, and they are ugly. Oh, no. Mission accomplished. What do they feel like? Um, they actually, I mean, they're from Threadless, so they're actually like pretty good leggings. They are, though. Kevin made the print for them custom. Like, they're not like, like Threadless didn't design this print. Yes. Kevin designed this print with our logo. Some of it's blurry, some of it's clear, some of it's big, some of it's small. <laughs> like, he on purpose made Just like our a shows. Lula. Yes, he on, <laughs> he on purpose made a Lula Row style version of our logo so our logo looks like a penis on your vagina no he didn't like put anything in the crotch area but it is on purpose absurd version and i think you should put the um when i model them you should put the link to the leggings specifically so people can get a chance to buy them again Mm -hmm. okay okay i'll get some i will wear them you're gonna see how amazing i look in our (laughs) ugly ass fucking leggings toby will you wear them do they make them for men kevin Uh, you can get the print on anything. <laughs> so you can, the thing, whole thing with Threadless is you can, like, when we make a print, like, you can literally get it on anything. You get the same print on a water bottle or on, like, a t-shirt or whatever, yeah. right? Or look, look what I made. Look what I got. Oh, uh, yeah, look at that. A mask, yes. You know how many people bought those leggings? How many? One. <laughs> Me. Yeah, you. Yeah, right. <laughs> They're amazing. <laughs> All right, Kevin, we should get back to the show. But before we do, do we have any Patreon patron saints of the week this week? Our Patreon patron saints are Brooklyn Armesto Larson Yay! and Ilya Gordon Redwine. Bless you. Bless you. And thus ends the business section. The business section. section. I'm going to go ahead and fade that out right now. Moving on. What's going on? Put my daughter on. Then the man said, and I can still hear his voice, no, madam, I can't put her on. I said, is she gone? Yes, she's gone. The brutal 1995 murder of Parisian student Helene Gautier haunted her mother, as well as the first female chief of the French Crime Brigade investigating the case. Martine Montiel noted that male DNA discovered at the scene matched that of samples from other unsolved cases in Paris. We had to catch the scumbag who did this. We couldn't allow someone like that to run free. I'll be honest, we wanted to avenge them. With no DNA database and an iffy police sketch, the investigation went nowhere. That was until a lab file-by-file search put a name to the suspect. That's just appalling. A police reporter like me leaked the killer's name before he was arrested. That's not something you should do. You can't do something like that. Now on Netflix, the French import The Women and the Murderer recalls the manhunt for a serial killer who terrorized Paris. What sets the documentary apart is that all the key players in the case are women, from the investigator to the crime reporter to the attorneys who argued both sides at trial. The result is a true crime story with a unique point of view. Now we are going to be talking about plot points for the women and the murderer. So to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes to hear our thumbs up or thumbs down review. Lara, we got to talk about the location of this documentary. Mm -hmm. It is Paris, 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 Paris. I found myself very immersed. I very much enjoyed the style of this film, the way it was made. I don't want to be too superficial, but the clothing, the hair, the presentation, um, the gun lamp, the cinematography, (laughs) uh, the art direction. Did you find yourself just sort of being immersed in this the way that I was for this very, very short documentary? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that was kind of one of the first things I noticed is, you know, as we're coming in at night over Paris with the light, it was reminding me a little bit of like that opening sequence in the greatest crime drama of all time, Braun Braun, yes. where, you know, we're we're seeing like the city at night with the lights and then we're sort of seeing like the underbelly of that beautiful sort of nighttime scene. But, you know, I think with this, there was just, I mean, right down to the police detective supervisor who is like gorgeous and she's super brilliant and smart. And she's, she looks like a television detective or something. She's beautiful. With her like Hermes scarf and her like gorgeous glasses and. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But so, so that kind of went in combination with all of the location porn that we were seeing of Paris. Yeah. 
Now, uh, Kevin, you sent me a note, which I also thought, because we have here a lot of sort of iconic characters in a crime. We have the mother of a victim. We have a lead cop. We also have a reporter, a crime reporter, who you, like me, and I didn't know this until just now when I saw your note, was the Lara Bricker of this film. I said uh, French Bricker. <laughs> yes. Yeah, good on, on this uh, reporter. I forget her name, but for being five foot nothing and playing dumb and naive to the cops, wearing her miniskirts and getting all the info. Yes, but she literally was fake. Like She put on a persona, right? She, yeah, she knew how to work it. Yeah. it was, but she was also very persistent. And again, where we have a situation where in the 90s in France, we find out didn't have a lot of female police officers, certainly not any supervisors. And here in the newsroom, didn't have a lot of female reporters working the crime beat. Yeah. Um, and maybe those first two things play into each other. But in any event, they both happen to be involved in this case, as well as a female prosecutor and a female defense attorney. So it, w- it was, you know, sort of this you know confluence of happy feminist events, perhaps we could label it like that, where we get three French female pioneers in their fields, yeah. really, uh, trailblazing in this one particular case. Well, I found myself wondering, and Toby, I don't know if you're wondering this too, like, this case wasn't just manned by, I hate to do the expression, women. They just chose women to tell the story in this film. I mean, that's what my perception of this was, was that, like, we actually saw the lead defense attorney here was a man. Uh, the squad of cops was mostly men, but there was one woman on it. And, you know, of she course, was the boss. Yes. But of course, the the you know, the, the mother of the victim was a woman and we had the one female crime reporter. But there was a deliberate choice here to do this documentary through that lens. I actually thought that was a, an excellent choice. And I'm sad to say it felt like a new choice. I mean, it's 2021 for fuck's sakes. And it's like, oh, my God, a brand new choice to tell the story of a true crime through the lens of only the ladies who were present during the story. Uh is that sad, Toby, that that feels new and that that would even be the title of the film? Like it should be it should not be extraordinary. We wouldn't think twice if all of these same characters telling the same exact story all just happen to be men. But like it's it's unique enough that they made that the name of this. Right. Sure. I it, <laughs> so I think the only part where it feels forced at all is, again, with with the defense in which it was led by the woman who was like the assistant's ex-husband, although I believe they were married at the time. They were. But even in that case, she's the one who had sort of the dramatic courtroom moment with the the murderer who confesses in the immediate aftermath of this like Perry Mason moment. Um, So I didn't really find very much in this. Like I was watching it. I was like, all these people, like you said, can just sort of be summed up. It's like, oh, the victim's mom. Like you don't know anything else about her. She's just a victim's mom. Oh, here's the first woman who ever like ran a, the crime squad for the Paris police. It's, but that's that's all you know. Like you don't know anything about how she came up, what obstacles she faced, what the reception was to her. It's just like, oh, this is her. This is this is her resume, with the one exception of the journalist. I would say. But we do know that about the cop. We keep seeing all these newspaper clippings where it was like, mm-hmm. cop in a skirt. Does it <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, get a, you get a little officer, bit of that. Yeah. At the time, I was like, so how did she succeed? You know, yeah. I mean, why why did she get to be there? Are you saying that this is the one of the Netflix things that should have been longer? There are so many that we always say, like, should have been shorter. No? I, I feel I no I don't I I don't think this thing should have been made quite honestly I just don't think that like they they try I think and make it more interesting by having this angle that it's all women and I guess you can hang your hat on that if you want because the only thing that's really that interesting about this story is this kind of Perry Mason moment during the trial the rest of it like it's basically like we can't figure out who did it we don't know what to do but we got this DNA. And then it's like, oh, well, we looked through a whole bunch of stuff and we finally got a match and it's this guy. Then a couple of cops happened to see him and then we brought him in and we and he like lost it in the courtroom and confessed. There's no suspense. There's no like ticking clock. There probably was in reality, but you don't get the sense of that in the movie. It just kind of seems like it was like kind of ticking off some plot points to a real kind of crazy moment in a courtroom, which I'm sure you could go lifetimes without seeing something like that but it happened but that's the only part of it where i was just like oh wow that is nuts the whole rest of it was like "Uh uh-huh 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 
Toby, you haven't gone off like this in a while. Oh my gosh, I, this is like this is like original Toby. But I, I have to say, I didn't hate that we had the angle of the women. At the same time that I was watching this, I was flipping back and forth, and I started watching the Mrs. Fisher's Modern Murder Mysteries, and that show is all about badass women that like live in this house called the Adventurers Club or whatever. And so there's like here's like the scientist woman who can do the like all the testing, and here's the you know. Lady who rides the motorcycle who's like 80. Um, so I think <laughs> I was like looking at this show maybe in a little bit of a different lens because I was coming from this other show where they were showing women in these positions where they were basically like badasses and kind of kicking ass at everything they did in terms of solving mysteries and beating the police and all that stuff. So when I was watching this show, I was thinking, you know what? I didn't mind that we had the police reporter and the investigator. And by the way, the police reporter had the best ashtray of any ashtray I've ever seen. Yes. The little typewriter ashtray. Wasn't that So awesome? much smoking. Is that better than the table lamp that oh my the God. Yeah, top had, awesome. which was made from a Ruger, I think? The Got gun a, lamp? Yeah. What's so amazing is she had it then and she still has it now. Well, who's going to take it from her? And also, like... By the way, these women, we would not comment, like, I mean, it is not fucking cool to comment on the way women look, right? But these women are from Paris, and women from Paris are famously chic, right? Like, that is a thing. Can we all just agree? Well, you can't because you're men and it's not cool. But, Laura, can we just agree these women are chic as fuck? And they look amazing. And their hair in the 90s looked amazing. And nobody's hair in the 90s looked amazing. But theirs did. I mean, they just did. They looked amazing. And they still look amazing today. And then I, I can we talk about how they did the interrogation with the whiskey and jazz to get the confession? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Kevin, I'm curious to what about, as to what you think because we are, um, you know, progressive criminal justice reform advocates. I think anybody who listens to the show know that we do not believe in subverting the system. You know, violating people's rights. Uh, there was no. DNA database in France at the time these crimes were committed. There were like laws and people were very much pushing against it because of privacy and so forth. And this detective who I think we all agree that, you know, we like Mm -hmm. was like, fuck that. I want to catch this guy. We have a DNA. You're going to pull every fucking file and just manually look to see if you can find a match, which wasn't legal, like, basically. Like, I'm just curious what you thought of that, because I found myself thinking, like, yeah, you go. And then I'm like, wait a minute. What part wasn't legal? I mean, that's my question. Like, there was no database, but she also made it seem- Which which meant that they had to do it by hand, which they did. Right. But she also said that, like, she implied that it wasn't kosher for them to do, but she also didn't say it wasn't a Admissible, like it was a weird kind of like thing. She she didn't technically say it wasn't admissible, right? Like it was a. It seemed like it was shaky legally. Yeah, I'd say look, if she were a white sheriff in Alabama saying these things, we would perceive it very differently than being a progressive French law enforcement official because she's cop through and through. I love how like she like couldn't have been bothered by this traffic accident that she had to go investigate. <laughs> which was the fatal crash of Princess Diana. It just yeah. was like, they couldn't be bothered. They were like, they, oh, this traffic. It was so annoying. They kept referring to it as the traffic accident because, you know, they're looking for a serial killer. This is this is beneath them. I have to admit it was very hard, a big weight, because the serious crimes unit had a heavy workload and we really could have done without a traffic accident. I think, you know, there's a great argument about is there a need for a DNA database? And if you don't have one, this is what happens. A serial killer remains on the loose for another year or two because it took that long to go from file to file, holding up transparencies of, you know, gene sequences to try to find the right one. When if you had a database that was fully stocked with a bunch of profiles, it might have taken five minutes to come up with the name. Who knows? Yeah. That's some compelling shit for a documentary, man. What's that? Like looking from file to file? Yeah. Just like, well, I guess we should have a freaking DNA database. It would be better if we did. But that was something else that went by very quickly. Yeah. And again, it's just like, like you said, there was pushback. I mean, I guess they showed us like one television show with one or two people saying this isn't right. But, I, you know, you could find that about anything, I'm sure. So there's not really a sense. And like, why would why would France be particularly 
uncomfortable with that? Like, is there something about French culture that makes that so threatening? Like, there was a point at which they weren't testing blood that was given for AIDS, because that was part of, like, French culture. I, I'm probably getting this slightly wrong, but I do remember French that listeners, was- email Toby. He always has questions <laughs> no, no, about- No, 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 we, we actually, no, you're not crazy. We just did, um, off of the Netflix podcast, what was the an Unsolved Mysteries one about the- uh, the the woman who was shot in the hotel room. What country was that in? Was it Iceland or Belgium? No, it wasn't Belgium. It person was person was from Belgium. Uh, yeah, it was a Nordic country, right? Yeah. And whatever country it was, I want to say maybe Oslo. It was Oslo. It was Oslo. So it was Norway. Uh, so there was this body found in this hotel in Oslo, and. Everybody wrote in to the podcast, as host of this podcast, interviewed the director, and everybody wrote in and they were like, oh, just put the DNA in 23andMe and you'll find the person in like four seconds, unidentified person. And it was like, no, that is illegal in Norway. Like, you're not allowed to actually upload DNA into a public database to solve a crime. It's actually illegal to do it. So there are still countries where not only is there no database, but it's actually against the law to upload DNA from a crime seat into a public database. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, it's not insane. It is crazy that we're so freaking uptight about just anything. And it's like, oh, sure, you can upload my DNA. Like, yeah. I'll pay. I'll pay you to do it. So anyway, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just listening to this conversation that we're having and there's like the stuff about, we need a database. And then you're talking about how nice the clothes are and you know, the, <laughs> the, uh, the ashtray is cool and the lamp looks really nice. And it's like, yeah, Come I mean, on, that was Toby. kind of, that was kind of what I came away from it was, is that there's just, there's just not a whole lot to bite into. Right. It's, it's. Just these different people talking. You don't know really much about them other than the role they play in this documentary. You know, it takes place in Paris and they talk about the, like the 11th arrondissement or whatever, but you don't know what that means. I mean, is that like upscale? Is it downscale? Is it places where there's lots of crime? Is it like really strange that there would be a crime there? So it's just, you know, at the end, it's just like, okay, this happened and this happened and this happened and this happened. And then this really crazy thing happened in the courtroom and we'll talk about it a little bit and it's over. Well, let's talk about that courtroom stuff because it was bananas. First of all, they had the um, defense attorney, the woman who was with her ex-husband and the defense team. But and then they also had essentially the from, from the prosecutorial team, but she called herself the victim's attorney. They were in that courtroom together. Apparently. Doing the interview. Yeah. But we didn't know they were together until yeah. they panned back. But then... Why have them together, though? Well... Without having them interact. What was the point well, of that? Well, I think we see that at the end. I mean, to me, the point no, was at the end... No, we just see a shot that they were both there listening to each other. Why I, not have them interact at all? I think it becomes clear at the end when we see what happens, because we know that he ends up confessing on the stand, and they end up kind of on the same side at the end, right? Mm-hmm. But when that prosecutor, she doesn't just tell the story... She fucking acts it out. And we see the, of course, we see the defense attorney reading from her closing argument like she is acting it out. But that prosecutor stands up and walks over and, like, acts out her Perry Mason moment. (laughs) And it is fucking bananas. Laura, what did you think when you even just heard that story? I mean, you heard what happened there. We should, by the way, should we tell our listeners what happened? Because it was in French and they may not watch this, right? I was going to tell in my answer because that was the part that I was just like, I mean, when you said it was a Perry Mason moment, it was like the fact that she was thinking that quickly on her feet as this was unfolding, because it didn't sound like this was planned. She basically is watching him like flips through something with one hand and then she sees him use the microphone with the other hand. And there was something with the crime scene about somebody being ambidextrous. And so she starts cutting just, his like, clothing off with the left hand. And she says that the cutting, yeah. was, the clothing was cut off with the left hand, but you say you're right-handed, right? And he says, yes. And she says, but I just saw you flipping through the photos and moving the microphone with your left hand, right? Yeah. But just the way that she laid that all out, like just on her feet, like it felt like it was something that had sort of happened organically that wasn't planned out in her line of questioning. And then for him to be like, yeah, I did or whatever. That's my stabbing hand. That was the other one was my stabbing. Can hand. you imagine if you were in that courtroom when that happened? I was like, oh, I mean, actually, I think that was really 
it was kind of a creative way to approach it because how else could you have told that story with such an impact? Like I felt like I was at like a dinner party with her listening to her tell this story, which she's probably told so many times about how this played out, you know? She was 30. I just kept thinking that. Like I just, I I kept thinking about that because, um, She's she's really like the uh, the equivalent of like a young prosecutor, right? Like she's working for the government. Like she's not like in private practice. Just like you know, in the public defender's office, you sort of get like young lawyers with these like jobs. They get like either jobs in the prosecutor's office, public defender's office, and they move on to private practice. She's thirty, right? And she's just like, I have an idea. I'm gonna ask him this question. And he's like, Yes. And she's like, What? You but you mean the hand you stab with? And he's like, Yes. And the whole courtroom is like, oh! <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know. I like that like, part. Damn it. Stupid. I meant if I stab someone. Yeah. I shouldn't have said that. If I did it. So Kevin, do you don't you feel like there were dropped threads about the evidence that didn't fit? Yeah, I would have enjoyed two more minutes of them explaining the bad police sketch. It was bad. It didn't quite fit. Later it did for the, when he shaved his head. His head, yeah, it was, he's a little heavier than What a, about Egyptian foot? Egyptian foot is an interesting topic. <laughs> Maybe it meant that he wasn't at all of the scenes that they are attributing to him or that there was somebody else, but we get no explanation of that. Is that because it's inconvenient? Sometimes investigations and investigators get things wrong and some of the evidence is bad and it doesn't really port towards anything. We don't believe that this is a wrongful conviction. He did confess. But beyond the the DNA, on the stand. (laughs) But beyond that, it's like, uh, okay, so we just kind of left that. That dangling, I would have liked to heard a little more about. Okay, well, how do you how do you reconcile that? Even if the answer is like, yeah, you know, we don't know. It would have been nice. Yeah, like maybe maybe like when someone's stabbing, sometimes their middle toe sticks out. Yeah. Or, yeah. or like maybe like that footprint could have left it been left there. By that footprint else. wasn't in blood, was it? I don't know, but it was a bare foot. Yeah. Right. Like, why were there no shoes on that person at that time? He's got know. Egyptian <laughs> toes. They don't make <laughs> shoes for those kinds of feet. Yeah, it hurts. I also want to know why it's called Egyptian foot. Did they ever explain that? I don't know. I've I've got that. Like my my you second do? toe is longer than my first toe. <laughs> Can like you my... take off your shoe and show no, us no, right now, no, Toby? No, it's Bob. fine. It's fine. Stop. <laughs> oh, no. No. oh my god. Oh, no. oh my god. Actually, I've oh, seen shit. Toby's feet because Toby they... wears Birkenstocks. My, my I saw feet his feet. Are, in my feet are no prize as it is, but I do. Oh, really? Yeah. My uh, yeah. My second toe is <laughs> is like a fair amount longer than my. Like, Sounds not like, another... like I look like some kind of circus freak. But, <laughs> Sounds like um... another photo for the newsletter, Kevin. Yeah. In addition to the Toby's ugly leggings. Oh, Egyptian what, what yeah, Patreon dude. level is that? You want to you want to put that beyond? You want to put that below the? Uh, oh, the you know what? It could be it could be one of those photos where it's like blacked out, and then you have to click on it to see it. It would be like view at your own like right. uh, NSFW yeah. definitely. Can can we put an entry for Toby on Footopedia? Uh. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we should do what we do. Let's let our listeners know. Should they check out The Women and the Murderer? This is an import on Netflix from France. It's a documentary. It's fairly short. It's about an hour and a half long. It's about the manhunt and trial of a serial killer who terrorized Paris in the 1990s. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for The Women and the Murderer? This is like a lukewarm thumbs up. And, you know, there's definitely issues with the narrative structure of this and everything. But, you know, there was some characters in this. First of all, I loved the setting in Paris. Um, But just, you know, the character Patricia, the police reporter, uh, Martine, the French investigator, who's the first woman to be in the supervisory role. I mean, some of these like badass French women characters for me were just worth watching. And it was only an hour and a half. So I would say, you know, give it a whirl. What about you, Toby Ball? Um, I don't know. When it was done, I was like, "What? What? What did I just watch? Like, what? Yeah. What just happened?" So, I if it was my ideal thing, it would have been about fifteen minutes long. It's not that interesting a story, except for the trial thing. I think they tried to do the thing with the the women, and that's fine. It'd be awesome if there was a good story to put it around, but there's not. So I'm sort of a big thumbs down, I guess. Kevin Flynn. I'm going thumbs down. Uh, I started to like it. I thought the early part of the investigation, the manhunt that we heard was really good. But once it got to the, you know, act two where it's the prosecution, 
just think like the whole thing lost the plot right there. It just kind of fizzled out and the novelty of the entire drama to Persone being female speakers, like that novelty just kind of wore off and it was like a pretty rudimentary crime story. So it didn't really do it for me. It's not a really a great documentary. Thumbs down. Uh, I'm a thumbs up. I liked it. I would have made the first half into the first three quarters and the second half into 25% of the documentary. That's how I would have structured it to make it stronger. The trial scene is amazing. The initial chase investigation stuff with the cop who's in charge of the thing is really great. She's a great storyteller and she's like your Olivia Benson, right? In Paris, like she's who you want solving your murder and she's a really interesting figure. I agree with Toby that it would have been really interesting to hear a little bit more about her ascension to that role and I actually do think this could have been a little bit longer if they had a little bit more material. One thing that I kept thinking when I was watching this is this actually would be a very good scripted series. And if this documentary had been given like a little bit of a scripted stories treatment where they had structured it as if it were a scripted series, uh, it could have been actually like a really tremendous documentary because the characters in this are so strong and the real people are like as attractive as the actors who would probably play them in a scripted series. Anyway, um, so yeah, I mean, it wasn't like the best thing I've ever watched, but I really did enjoy it enough to give it a thumbs up. Yeah, so thumbs up for me for The Women and the Murderer on Netflix. Disney Plus and Hulu are better together in the Disney bundle with new movies and series. On Disney Plus, experience the full Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with new main show performances and acoustic collection. On Hulu, follow the fantastical evolution of Bella Baxter, played by Emma Stone in the award-winning film Poor Things. All of these and more streaming this month. Get the Disney Bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest-cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime, crime of, of the week. The week. Larceny is in the eye of the beholder. Oh, I see what you did there. A Danish museum is angry with an artist who was given a pile of money to make a collage. Instead, he turned in two blank canvases that he entitled, quote, Take the Money and Run. Jens Hanning was given $84,000 in banknotes to recreate an earlier art piece about a living wage. He declared on Danish radio, the artwork is that I have taken the money. Known for his provocative pieces, Hanning says the submission is a call to all those in miserable jobs to do like him and take the money and run. The artist says the moneyless canvases do not amount to theft, merely a breach of contract with the museum, which was the point of the artwork. Meantime, the museum has not reported Hanning to the police and promised not to if the cash is returned when the exhibition is over. Panel, we blame the museum for providing the raw materials for this disaster. What other problematic works of art are they responsible for? Laura Bricker, what do you think? I feel like it's like a, a performance art and it involves like a game of twister and some finger paint. And I just think that could go horribly awry. <laughs> Toby Ball, what do you think? Uh, it's uh, it's Gerardo Rivera's famous Al Capone's vault work. <laughs> mm. Absolutely. Kevin Flynn, what do you think? Uh, it's giving them that 40 pounds of sugar for the artwork known as diabetes. Oh, my God. All right. So, Kevin, I have to digress for a second here. Yeah. I once went with my kids to the Guggenheim Museum. I don't think you were there. I know what you're going to say. Yes. And we went to this very special exhibit that was set up 
and it was supposed to be this like up and coming artist and everyone was really excited about it and it was paid for by some foundation and we went there and we paid like a bunch of money for the entrance fee to go in and we went all the way upstairs uh, like up the ramp circular thing that they see running up them and men in black and we went all the way up there into this room <laughs> and there was literally and this is the exact right word uh literally i'm using it correctly an overhead projector like you have in your fourth grade classroom set up on the floor projecting a slideshow of nothing there were two shoes on the floor filled with concrete and there was one of those things from a car dealership like one of those puppets that was filled with air the giant like loopy dolls uh-huh. and a bunch of extension cords on the floor and that was it and it was like the guy had like gotten the assignment and he had gotten the commission like two months before and then had done a bunch of heroin or something and then forgotten that he was supposed to do it and then like remembered the day before and was like shit okay here's two shoes i'm gonna fill them with concrete oh here's a slide projector and here are some extension cords so i think that is actually the biggest grift in art history and the new york times loved it no they did not they did not love it and i felt very vindicated when i read that all right we should probably end the show on that note but before we do lara bricker Do we have a cat of the week this week? We have one submitted by Rebecca this week. (gasps) Yay! My first ever cat of the week. And it's actually a 19-pound mini tiny horse named Peabody. Have you ever seen a tinier horse? I have not seen a tinier horse. And uh, we will send the video out, a link in the newsletter. So this little tiny horse is so small that it lives with three French bulldogs. I looked this all up because I needed to know the story behind this little tiny horse in San Diego. And he has like special little shoes. They're like, they're like tap shoes. So, so he runs around on his little, you know, with his little French bulldogs. And he's like the same size as the dogs. It's yes. insane. He lives in the house. He has a little pen. It's very nice. So the owner, Faith Smith, actually drove across the country to get this little tiny horse because he was gonna he was born and they're like, Oh, he's not gonna survive. We're gonna euthanize him. And he couldn't walk. Now he can walk. It's a real tearjerker, Toby. Wait till you see the he video. Oh my he's God. not gonna survive. Let's euthanize Toby, him. Toby, no, Toby, the dad who looks like Fabio lies on the couch at night watching TV with this tiny horse like the tiny horse is a cat the tiny horse is on his lap lying on his back and the the guy like pets the tiny horse on its tummy Laura have you ever seen anything like this I have never and I totally need a tiny my cats would love to have a tiny horse this is not like a mini horse like you see in a barnyard it's not like little Sebastian no this horse is the size of a large cat it is the tiniest fucking horse i have ever seen adorable and it runs around the house with the dogs it eats out of a bowl it's like a third of the size of briscoe it is the tiniest horse i have ever seen even kevin thinks it's cute and he doesn't even like horses can you like train like a gerbil to ride it or something it it, it, it hangs out with the french bulldogs in the yard Lara, can I just ask you a side question? The yeah. dad, the, the husband, what do you think he does for a living? Because they keep saying the horse wants to go with him for work, but he has this long flowing hair. Is he Fabio? Is he a well, romance he novel model? Hair, but it, I couldn't decide if he was going to ride on a motorcycle or if he had, because he had something on his knees like knee pads. I was like, does he work with tile or something? Or he almost like looked a like a, outfit? but didn't like a horse person too? He almost looked like a horse, like an yeah. equestrian kind of person. All right. He anyway. He should be riding like one of those like, you know, Frisians and horses with the, yes. the Frisians with the long flowing mane. hundred percent. We have to, you need to investigate Lara Bricker. Follow up yep. next week. All right. <laughs> Lara Bricker, if people want to submit their. Hold on. Yeah. All right, now we got to do criticism and commentary. Otherwise, we cannot use that song in our podcast. Well, I, for one, think that song. Candles in the Wind. I think that song is a great piece of American art and uh, one of the great songs in the American canon. Kevin, what do you think about that song? Little Sebastian. All right, all right, let's fade that out. 
All right. So, uh, Lara Bricker, if people want to submit their animals, little horses, uh, dogs, cats, to be Cat of the Week, how can they find you on Twitter? They can find me at Lara Bricker, and they can send me to San Diego to go see Peabody the Tiny Horse. I would do anything to see Peabody the Tiny Horse. And by the way, you can also submit your animals at crimewriterson at gmail.com. Toby Ball, folks want to reach out to you on Twitter. How can they find you? There's no point. Our civilization is collapsing. <laughs> uh, they can find me at Toby Ball and H. Wow, Toby just made this real dark. Kevin Flynn, what about you? Have folks reach you on. T- oh, sound effects. <laughs> Kevin Flynn, how can folks reach you on Twitter? And then trading your legs for angels' wings. <laughs> I'm at Kevin P. Flynn. If you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoie. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our amazing community and our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, but you can ignore that. Just go there to join the group. We will let you in if you're not an asshole. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners and crime media. You will get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave it to Bricker podcast, which apparently is hilarious, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club podcast. That is four shows for the price of one. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the incredibly astute Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this program is Kevin Flynn. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement where we keep our own pet mountain lion, but not actually because Carol Baskin would murder us. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. later. Oh, my God. I've had many tweezers stuck up my nose. Oh, my God. When I had the scissors spun 21 (laughs) times in my nose, it actually did cure my cancer. Rebecca, what the fuck were you talking about? That's what I was afraid was going to happen in that email. Want the same expert advice you get from the pros in the store while shopping online at DiscountTire.com? Meet Treadwell, your personal online tire guide that matches you with the perfect tire for your vehicle. Get your best match in one minute or less with Treadwell by Discount Tire.